I don't think the goal for God's word is that it be super, super hard to be able to read it. And so whatever version someone is able to understand the best is the best version to be reading. Again, as long as it's not one of the few that are not actual Christian Bibles. translations get really confusing when people don't have background on them, which I guess could be said about anything. But I remember being raised King James Version only, which we'll talk about, and then going into a mainstream Christian church. And I think they had... I. If I remember correctly, what they had out, especially I think it was in the young adults groups, was the NLT, which is very, I mean, that's a huge leap from King, the Kajiv to the NLT. Um, so that is, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, it was just from the satire video I did with Melissa. It's just what came into my head. Um, but yeah, so that's a huge jump from one to the other. And again, we're going to talk about these different categories and both are totally fine to read, but to go from one to the other was shocking and almost too easy to read in comparison. Yeah. And I just, I didn't know what to do with that. I'm like, is this one as accurate Is this, especially being raised the way I was and like, I'm not supposed to be reading anything different. And I didn't realize that there were actually some versions then to stay away from that were not just the Christian Bible they had been added to or changed. So once I kind of figured all that, I'm like, okay, I have the feet, my feet under me, but thank goodness I didn't kind of wind up in a problem by accident and not realize it and, you know, pick up the Jehovah's Witnesses Bible or something as an example, like that totally could have happened and I would have had no idea. So, so that's the reason we want to talk about this. Um, I certainly have questions come in from people, especially people that uh, be emboldened mentors where people are just asking what, what do we, what is okay? You know, I was raised with this specifically, or I just came out of a church that only used this same thing as different denominations, same sort of conversation. Like, is there stuff to be aware of? Um, what's good? What's bad? What's neutral? Where's my, where's my room and what's kind of my bumpers? as I look into what's going to work for me and what my preference is going to be at this phase in my life. So that's our background for why we want to have this conversation. And then I wanted to jump into why different translations even exist. And Lemon, I know that you just took some lovely Greek, um, which I did Hebrew. I did not end up doing Greek because I changed um, my major for this master's degree, but I did a couple of Greek, uh, a couple of Hebrew classes. I did not do Greek, but anyway, you're more fresh from that. I'm going to let you tell us some of what you learned about translations. Yeah. So I actually just finished Hebrew too, a few weeks ago so that I, you know, hated myself and decided I was going to take both languages in like a 16 week period, which is really wonderful. And so it was super interesting because I couldn't use like you couldn't go to Google Translate, you couldn't use any of these like normal online translator situations because the way that they wrote and the way that they um, spoke was completely different than the way that we do. Um, and the language just evolves like so much. And so like, I just think about, I think, about, I don't know, like you and I, right? We probably use different slang, even though we're like close to the same age. We both grew up in the United States. But you're Southern girl, you have a whole different language. <laughs> right. Well, that's so it's right. So I grew up in New Jersey and then, you know, I've now lived in the South for over 10 years, right on and off. And so the way that we speak is completely different than the way right, you're used to in California mm-hmm. or in Colorado, or when I, you know, I mean, English is technically the same everywhere, right? But I hear people from the UK use terms that I have no idea what they mean. No clue. Oh gosh. Yeah. So Lemon, I lived in Australia for six months and I had no idea what these (laughs) lovely people were trying to say to me. Right. You have no clue. Or like you go to Louisiana, you know, and like Creole is completely different. Like they use word. I have no clue. Beautiful, lovely, 
but I have no clue what's going on. And so then my brain immediately goes to, to like, when I got my bachelor's in English, right? We had to read so much Chaucer. It's not even funny, right? And people struggle so much with Chaucer, right? It's hard. It's old English. It's hard. But that was written, obviously, like, after these manuscripts were, right? And so I just think about how much the language has evolved from old English to the way we speak now. And so it's really easy to get different translations um, based on like your vernacular and things like that and what mm-hmm. what type of translator you use and how how you interpret the text and all these things right like it is it's a process that you have to work through yeah so this is it's really interesting to think about um word definitions mean something different now than they did 100 years ago as well at times and so if we're looking at a translation from hundreds of years ago, it's just going to be harder to read. Like you're saying, it's not, it's on a version of English that we're accustomed to. And so we have to struggle more to understand. And the actual words could mean something different again in our context at this time than it did back then. So again, it just, it can require a little more work, a little more digging to like get to, okay, what, what is this saying? And we also have new discoveries and manuscripts, um, Greek in particular. So that sheds more light, um, excuse me, on the New Testament. And um, gosh, so we have, I have this noted down. So I'm looking at it. We have over 5,800 manuscripts now. So the earliest was in the first century. So the King James Version was based on, I believe it was six manuscripts and the earliest was the 10th century. So a thousand years removed from Christ. And yeah, now we have 5,800 manuscripts with the earliest is the first century. So that's, that's significant. That's just a lot more to, to take a look at and to compare and contrast to get, you know, what was the, the most original we can possibly get, which is really good when the earliest is the first century. And then we have new insights into old languages too. So, um, New Testament Greek was common Greek, but we didn't always know that. So we used to think it was a special Greek with special words that were new. But as we found more ancient documents, we've had more information about how to actually interpret. And so it helps people who are working on the translations to translate more accurately, which is really helpful. So putting all of that into play, there's just, there's a lot more that people can consider with a new, newer translations or with different translations. And so that's why we have these different ones. And well, let me add this on, not only that reason, but new versions do help different populations of people. So if you have a different level of education or reading comprehension, or you're just newer to the Bible in general, like kind of, this is just a a new book to be reading. It gives you, there's options or translation options available to you that are going to be more simple to digest. And if it's easier to understand what's actually being communicated to us, then we can go to the application step sooner Versus if it takes a lot of time and energy to figure out what is even being said, and then we have to take context into account before we get to application, just create a lot more. And when someone is really trying to just consume God's word and be like, okay, like I want to understand this and I want to grow closer in my relationship with God. It's a lot of energy. Yeah. (laughs) And I experienced that. Yeah. Go ahead. It just makes me think of like, the different versions of the Bibles like my kids have. Like my, I don't know, like my eight-year-old for the last like two, three years, he's had the action Bible, right? Which is laid out mm-hmm. comic book style. Cause he's super into it. And that version works for him. But my 10-year-old has something different, right? He's got like some version of the NIV, but it's still simpler than like the NIV is. And so I like, I like the way that you broke it down, like the need for different populations and all these things and how, I don't know, like I was raised on a King James only too. And so I went through the same thing where like reading an NIV or something felt 
like that. It's like, am I doing the right thing? It feels too simple. Mm-hmm. And then I talk to other people who are like, the, the KGV or whatever is like too academic for me and I can't read it. And so I, I love that we have these different translations for different people, for different education levels, for different styles. Like, I just think, I just think that's so beautiful that we have mm-hmm. that. It's been an interesting journey. Personally, I ended up going to the NIV because going from the King James version to the NLT was too extreme. Like I didn't enjoy the NLT. So I ended up at the, using the NIV. Um, that's what Denver seminary was primarily using. And so that was the one I had to purchase. So it's kind of how that started back in 2015. And then I've recently switched over to the HCBS. I always feel like I'm going to flip-flop those numbers, but yes, <laughs> HCVS and the ESV, because I, and again, we're about to get into this, but I wanted something more close to word for word versus a thought for thought or a paraphrased version. Um, Cause I just found with the NIV, I, and this is so interesting. There's this is probably something wrong with this. I, I don't know that this is good. I'm just going to be vulnerable with y'all. I wasn't really wanting to read it. That's actually yeah, yeah. what happened. And I was surprised by it. I'm like, this is still God's word. So like people in other countries are lucky if they have one translation, good heavens. And so I'm not saying that as in that should happen or that that's great. I just found that I, I wanted more of the word for word. That's just kind of where I was at. I, I wouldn't say that that's a, a maturity thing or a, I think it was just me. Um, I haven't spent a whole lot of time thinking about it, but I am really just enjoying having the ESV right now and having the HCBS versions right now. And again, getting uh, a little bit closer to the original language and being able to do a little more work for myself. I'm just appreciating that at this time, but I still have my NIV and there are days where they're just tough days. Like if I'm going through something and the NIV is just nice to reach for because it is an easier read. Yeah, I get that. I totally get that, right? Like I feel like I almost have like PTSD with versions, right? Because it was, I came from a church that had their own version of a King James version. And so like, right, I had like a completely misinterpreted kajib, as you <laughs> called it, which I'm I really love that. I'm going to tell my kids that later. But for, I, I, I did, I'd like, I'd like PTSD. And so for me, I had to like, free, like go through the, the real King James version. Cause I'd never actually read it. I'd read like a altered version of it, which takes some effort. Like my church doesn't necessarily use it when they're, um, during sermons and things they use, it just depends on who's up there preaching on which version they use, but they almost never use the King James version. Um, cause our whole church is method is for people who don't like going to church and like don't want to go to church. And so, um, it's not super academic in the way that they use translations and things. And I like, I don't know, I still struggle sometimes. I'm like, I'm sitting there with my King James version. Cause I'm like, I don't, I struggle with other ones still. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a really good point. And maybe that's why I'm creeping closer because I really enjoy the King James version. And I think it's because I was raised in it. It, it was triggering for a while, but I also was so used to that language that there's something comfortably familiar at the same time. And so I think as I have healed more, creeping back closer to it there's something again kind of familiar and natural about it that I appreciate that no longer feels unsafe so not to turn this into Naomi's therapy session but you're kind of helping me process you're like why is this happening like why did I it was like I just want something yeah kind of closer to what I used to enjoy and was familiar and was comfortable and but then became too tough emotionally And now I'm wanting to go back in that direction again. So, well, again, we're going to get to King James Version. Um, Both of us have an appreciation for it. People who read the King James Version, there is nothing wrong with that. It's an excellent version of the Bible to read. We do not support 
and be emboldened in general would not support King James Version only as the single possible version for someone to read. Um, and so that is a, a stand that we take, but we appreciate it just like we appreciate other versions. Yeah. Yeah. I, my pastor once said he's like the best version is the one in your hand. Like for the most ever. part. Yes. Not the one that was in your hand. <laughs> right. Not the one that was in my hand. Right? And so we'll talk about that. I get right. So of course he's not, you know, not talking about like the JWs, right. Which I, I just watched a new documentary on for good um on their translations and how they they, they got there but um oh, oh yeah all of a sudden it's it's super good super good is is an oldie it's from like 2018 but I just discovered it over the weekend so I was very mm-hmm. like that's what I did all weekend in case you guys want to know what I do with my free time um, um says me all the documentaries and all the series you guys like I <laughs> and then I do watch most of them so I do. I think everybody has my Discovery Plus password at this point because I'm just like, here, go watch these documentaries. Um, it, they're so good. But yeah, so when he says like the best version, right, I don't think he's talking about these like harmful ones that we're mm-hmm. going to get into. But as long as you have something from, you know, a generally accepted, I know we've talked about this too with Lindsay's episode, right? Like to be wary of something that is generally accepted and they have their own version of right Mm -hmm. so if you go with a generally accepted one from scholars and things right it's been verified and peer-reviewed by people who actually have some sort of knowledge in this space and we think you're okay Mm -hmm. yes and that is an excellent flag to be aware of and to consider if the vast majority is saying this is okay and that's not and you go into a different room and people are saying, well, <laughs> we disagree and we're doing this like, well, I mean, at least consider that. Like, That's definitely a, a place to press pause and consider and do some deeper digging before we just jump in and agree with them. It can really be a bad sign. It can be a huge red flag. And when we're talking about something like the Bible, something that has been around for a very long time and has the stamp of approval, um, like just widely to say, no, we're going to take it and tweak it. And this is going to be our own version of it. And we're going to call it, you know, special revelation, divine revelation that I received. All of that is very, very concerning. And as we get into some of these examples, you're going to see, we do, there are translations out there where that is exactly what's happened. So we're not saying something imaginary here that could happen. It actually has happened. And it is a huge red flag to have, proceed with caution if you're going to proceed at all. Um, personally, I just wouldn't because I I know too much and I've experienced too much. But I'm not saying that a new translation can't come out. But if it's saying, well, this is the best or this is the only, that's definitely problematic. I wouldn't, I would just shut that down and go in a different direction. So let me, with that, let's jump into the different methods of translation. So I'm going to list them off. And if you want to jump in and and give some overviews for them, but we have word for word and then we have thought for thought and we have paraphrased and thought for thought and fair paraphrased in my mind, they're pretty, they can be similar, but there is a distinction made there, um, depending on, on where you look. So we're going to address both separately and starting at word for word, that's going to be the closest to the original. And then we get further away as we go thought for thought and then paraphrase is considered the furthest. So do you mind jumping in and giving us a little overview of those three? Yeah. So your word for word is literally just going to try to Stick to what the original language says, right? So your King James version um, is going to do that, right? Or like you said, right, you're moving into this more word for word, right, with your ESV and things like that, right? They are, they are trying to be as close to the original text as it can be. Um, and I'm excited to talk about why this is a pro and a con sometimes in a minute. Then your thought for thought it's going to stick to like historical and factual information, but sort of like update grammar and make it a little bit easier to read. Um, 
right where you, when you read the King James version, if there's, <laughs> I know I do this all the time too. I'm like, wait, what is that saying? Right. And I've got a cross reference with a thought for thought translation sometimes. And then your paraphrase is not necessarily bound by original language. Um, and it's not completely precise, right? Like it is, it is just a paraphrase of what the text meant. Um, and so that you'll get like the message Bible. I think that's a good representation of that one. Got anything, friend? <laughs> yeah, that's great. And I want to go through some of our, I would say there's so many translations. So we're not going to cover them all. Everyone, you're welcome to do some, some searching. And we have a couple of, tools as well that we can put in the show notes for this episode. If you have a specific translation that we don't cover that you have questions about, um, I can point you, we can put you in the right direction of where to get more info, but we're going to pick some of the, what we would say would be like the major, most common translations, as well as a couple that are on the shelves to be aware of. And we're just going to go through some of the pros and cons and what category they're in so that you can take that and then decide which one is going to be best for you for the season of life that you're in, because it really can change like we must, like we mentioned already. So we do want to start with the King James version because this is a, a very, gosh, this is incredibly popular still. And it's, really a great version. Again, I, I have a soft spot for it. I really enjoy it. Many people that I meet now are like, how do you read that? Because it is hard to read. Like we opened up with just, it's a very different English to be reading, but it's not, it's not a concerning translation. It's not, again, it's, it only becomes an issue when someone says, this is the only version you can read. That's the only, the issue, but it's not even the version itself. It's what's been done with it. That can be the problem. So the King James version, it's also known as the authorized version. Um, it's a word for word translation. So this is going to be pretty exact word for word. It was originally published in 1611 by the request of King James one of England, hence the King James version. Most copies come from an updated version that was made in 1769. They're typically just spelling updates. So you know, nothing, nothing else really going on there. Uh, this is, I believe it is still the most popular version. I think it is. Yeah. So this one does not include new manuscripts. So it's the original documents that were available at that time. Some parts were missing and they went to the Latin to give their best guess. So again, we didn't have it in the original Greek. So they went to the Latin, nothing terrible happened, but it's not based on as much documentation as newer versions. So we don't have to be afraid of it or worried about it. It's just not all that we have right now to go on. The pro for word for word, you get the nuances of what was originally said. The con is it doesn't always make sense. I watched this video on this um, by Mike Winger, and this is an example that he gave that just crack. I don't, I just find it funny. It cracks me up. An example he gave was Mary was having it in the belly, which is to say that she was pregnant. <laughs> So word for, that's an example of like word for word can get a little weird uh, when we're translating from, you know, a language to a different language. So Mary was having it in the belly and said that, you know, Mary was pregnant and Mary was with child saying something that's a little more easy to understand. Interesting thing to know on this one, there are major dialogue differences. So in meaning, not just weird ways of phrasing things. So for example, the word conversation back then meant a way of life, whereas now it means talking with someone. So those sorts of things can really get tricky. And just if we're not aware of it, we can just totally misunderstand the text. If we are aware of it, we just, we have to, you know, work harder to try to figure out what what's actually being said then. And again, when we have someone who is King James version only, they think this is the only version that's accurate we would not agree with that. We don't have any good evidence for that. Again, it's a good translation. It's fine to read, but it's not better. And it's most certainly not the only um, humans translated this version, just like humans translated the other versions that have come since. And I think that's the main point that I wish to make on this 
is that there wasn't something more divine in 1611 or 1789, I think it was, um, Mm -hmm. than there is with someone doing a translation now. This is not the same as when the actual letters were written and the actual canon was put together. You know, we are taking the canon and it's just, it's due diligent hard work that takes a team of scholars to come up with a good peer reviewed, solid translated version of the Bible into a different language. And, you know, the Bible is still being translated in different languages all over the world right now. There are languages that don't have a Bible yet in their native tongue. And so translations are still happening. This is, this is good work because everyone can have access to God's word. Hopefully in time, we want that we're supposed to spread it everywhere. And so this is one way to do that is to have these translations. And so to say that the King James version only, which is also in English, I'd like to point out, which I can't help but see an elitism there of, we have this English version And there are countries that would not even be able to read it because it's not in their language. And yet this is the only version like that actually eliminates millions, (laughs) billions, I mean, crazy numbers of people who would not have access to God's word at all. And so I think we have to sometimes press pause too and recognize what does this, what's the fallout of this belief? And what am I then saying about who our God is and who he loves and who his people are? Like, where do we go with all of this? And it gets, uh, it gets really problematic and and quite upsetting, honestly. I really like that. Like pointing out, pointing those things out. And I like that you said that other versions are peer reviewed too, with a team of scholars, because we're going to see with some of these other versions, they're not, you know, it's a single person who did it. And that's, where a lot of problems come from and Mm -hmm. so I really like that you pointed that out (laughs) yeah yeah I think sometimes we don't recognize those things because it feels familiar to our culture and we don't really think about cultures elsewhere and and what that looks like then so moving on to the NASB which is the New American Standard Bible this one does include new manuscripts This one is still word for word. It's based on the newer manuscripts that have been found. Again, the the con, if we call it that, depends on the person. It's going to be more challenging to read. Something interesting about this version that I found is that it's used in seminaries and scholastic circles more than any other translation. Based on the research I was doing, it seems very like it's a very common one. I could see that making sense, right? If it's using the new manuscripts and things like that, um, that makes sense to Mm -hmm. me. They would do that. Yeah. And that might be switching over. I don't know, but it is a common one. And when they do phrase for phrase, so every once in a while that does happen in the NASB, they put a footnote in the word for words that you can still see it. I like that. So I said that where they put a footnote and then the word for word at the bottom. So you can still see that. So you know that they did something like, so for example, I haven't opened up the NASB in this spot to see if this is true, but as a hypothetical example, maybe accurate, may not be. If it was going to say Mary had it in the belly, but they changed it to Mary was with child, there would be a footnote and you'd be able to go down and see Mary had it. In the, so they'd be able to see that difference, um, which I really, really like that. Yeah. So it's been highly praised uh, a top biblical translation scholar dan wallace if you want to look him up um it's one that that he really holds in high esteem so it's got it's very highly credentialed yeah i really like that because i know for me i like to see what the the literal is when i am looking at like a thought for thought or like a paraphrase situation um because it because of where i came from right and the the bible has been used super harmfully um, with mistranslations and things like that. So for me, I like to see where the, where the literal comes in and then how they arrived and add that paraphrase, right? Like, does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. that. Yeah, I really appreciate that too. And I think, again, that's kind of impacting me wanting to go closer and closer to word for word now. Is that exact same 
exact same thought process is, yeah, it's really nice to see and then put it all together versus having the work done for me. But there's times where having the work done or a lot of the work done for me and just translating is really helpful. So again, we're not, we are not elevating one above the other. The English standard version, one that I mentioned earlier that I am enjoying reading right now, it's uh, for short ESV. This one does include the new manuscripts. Um, It's word for word category, but it's still more easily readable than the NASB. And something that is interesting that I like in ESV is it tries to be gender accurate versus gender neutral, which I just found, I find interesting um, depending on the passage that I'm reading to see what they were saying back then. Now, I'm also aware though that like, for example, mankind is not just men, it's everyone. And so it's male and female. And so I appreciate um, seeing the distinctions, but also, again, I need to remember how the words were used. Like it can say man and really be encompassing everyone um, depending on where it's, where it's talking. Uh, So I just want to throw that out there. Yeah, I, I agree with that, right? Like having those, I think is really important too, especially because I'm sure you and I both know, and I'm sure people listening know, like the being gender accurate, I think is really important because there's been plenty of times that the Bible has been used to hurt certain (laughs) groups of people, or there's certain expectations on people um, because of their gender. Mm -hmm. And so getting the most accurate, I think it's super helpful. Yes. Yes. Getting the most accurate. And again, knowing then what those words are intending to mean in that context. So it's not as simple as just, oh, this is the word it's okay. What does it mean in this context? What's, what's being said here. And sometimes it, it is used. Like I remember, I don't know if I would be shocked actually, if this is still the case in public school, but I remember when I was being taught to write way back in like elementary school. So that I would have been, you know, early nineties, if I was talking about just a person in general, I would have to use the word he. Like if it wasn't male or female, I was just writing in general terms, it would be he. He, him was the default. But I was speaking about people in general. I was talking about humanity at large, but I'd have to use he and him. And again, I I would be surprised if that's still the case. I think it's probably more likely to be they, them now. Yeah. And that's language I tend to use to just try to make it more neutral. So it could encompass male and female, but that was just the default. That's the wording that you use. Those are the pronouns that were used. And so when we look at the Bible, there's times where we'll see man or mankind or he and it's not necessarily just speaking to males and maybe speaking to everybody so yeah i just want to throw that out there having that in the back of your mind is helpful yeah that's and then we my experience <laughs> yeah yeah for sure and then the hcbs yes i did have it right no hcsb <laughs> home and christian standard bible this one does include new manuscripts it's both word for word and phrase for phrase so it leans heavier on word for word and it uses basically what the translators thought was best for each line so there's times where word for word they were like that's going to be better and there's times where phrase for phrase are like that's going to be better so it does lose the nuance a little bit because we're a little further away from word to word um, but you definitely get the main point And something interesting to know, this is straight from the original languages, whereas many translations are influenced by another previous translation. And there were 100 different scholars from 17 different countries on this one, which I just think is really impressive. And there's footnotes, um, again, to inform when they use a phrase to phrase translation along with the word for word so you can see it. So same as NASB, they have that footnoted so you can check it out right at the bottom. Yeah, that's so crazy. Just thinking about the team of scholars that it would take to translate, right? Like I know, I because I'm fresh off of language courses, right? And like, I know that sometimes translating just like one line of text in Hebrew, like you're, you're spending 20, 30 minutes. And so I can't imagine 
translating from the original manuscripts and just I I just have a deep appreciation <laughs> after coming off these languages courses I'm like man do I have a deep appreciation for the scholars that put these together and the amount of energy and effort that goes into it mm-hmm well, and Lemon, that just made me think of this book I'm reading right now. And it's not really like a straight through read. It's more of a read a, a chapter a day and kind of think about it. It's different emotions. And I'm trying to remember, is it like 80 something? So there's like four or five in each chapter. It's like sectioned, but it shows, it like gives an example so you can apply what's being said. You can see, you know, more, make it more tangible, make it more understandable. And then it breaks down just the nuances of that word for the emotion versus a different word where oftentimes like jealousy and envy mm-hmm. is a good example. Those are oftentimes interchanged in sentences. And really there's, there's a difference between the two. So just looking at, oh, all of these different words for emotions and like, what's the difference between disappointment and regret and these things, these words that are similar and that alone in and of itself is like, wow, there are so many again nuances to language and how people use it and how it's generally understood. And when I look back at, translators and you think how many different words could they choose from you know they're reading it in this language and they're trying to encapsulate it in an English word it just blows my mind but I'm like these are all these words just for emotions like we think of like oh we have happy mad sad (laughs) there's so many so when you open up like yeah all these different categories of like we're talking about creation and we're talking about interactions with people and we're talking about historical facts of what happened, like all of these things, we're looking at poetry, like we're looking at all these different type, you know, ways of actually writing. And these translators are (laughs) trying to look at and be like, okay, which English words do we actually pick for this? Or if they're translating to another language for another country, which words are we using to translate for this? And yeah, so just made me think of that book I'm reading right now and just the amount of options that are out there that we don't necessarily realize. And when we're translating the Bible, we believe that to be the Holy word of God. Can we also just talk about the pressure? Right. To get the word exactly right in the context. Like that's so stressful. And I think about back to like, they didn't have like Google when they translated these things, like they didn't have, right. So they're sitting here. Like it's really, it was really easy for me in Hebrew to like command F search for this word in Hebrew to see how many times it was used Mm -hmm. and see the different contexts in which it was used. Like they didn't have that option. Right. (laughs) So good on them. Like, yeah. Thank God for people who want to translate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's their skill set and it's their passion and that's what they want to do because I know how long it took me to just do like a whole paragraph of text right and it is a process yes yes yeah I don't want to do it and I'm so glad people are and we don't (laughs) say that flippantly like it needs to be done so that God's word is accessible I mean we don't want to go back to like pre-reformation yeah (laughs) we don't want that style um and unfortunately especially if we go towards cult abuse that's very common it is pre-reformation style like it is Hey, we're going to tell you what it says. You don't really have to read it for yourself, even though you could, like, it's kind of discouraged. You don't really need to, like, we're going to tell you what it says and what to do with what it says and having access in a language that we can easily understand in a version we can easily understand at that point in our lives is so, so important for being able to check what you're being told versus just drinking that water down and just assuming and full on trusting that it's accurate. Yeah. Super important for safeguarding and protecting ourselves. Yeah. Good. Good on the translators. (laughs) I am thankful for them daily. NIV, New International Version. This one was influenced by the King James Version. Uh, NIV was published in 1978 and it's been revised twice, first in 1984 and then again in 2011. 
This is also one of the more popular English versions, and it's used in more traditional and conservative denominations. It does include the new manuscripts. It leans heavily on phrase for phrase, so this means some interpretation has been done for you. And there were excellent scholars on this. So if people were going to do some translating for me, I would want it to be these people. Um, I'm saying that as a personal opinion, being able to study under some of them at Denver Seminary. Like I just know the, the caliber of who they are. And so it, it is a phrase for phrase that I feel trusting of, again, having studied under some of the scholars who are a part of it. Um, it is also gender inclusive. So I wanted to note that too, which um, again, people, some people care about that more than others, but it's, it can be interesting if you compare translations to see which ones are and which ones aren't and kind of what, what message maybe you take from it. Yeah, I really like that. I like it. <laughs> the NLT, this is our new living translation. It does include new manuscripts. It is more heavily phrase for phrase than the NIV. This one avoids theological terms. So it's not designed for careful study. It's designed for more casual study. Like I'm going to just kind of read it and um, kind of get the overall picture of what is being communicated to me. It's really good for those who are younger and it doesn't necessarily have to be age younger. It could be younger to the faith in general, so newer, or someone who has a lower level of, of education in general. It's going to be more simple to comprehend. Our goal, I don't think the goal for God's word is that it be super, super hard to be able to read it. And so whatever version someone is able to understand the best is the best version to be reading again as long as it's not one of the few that are not cool. actual christian bibles yeah yeah i like that i like that caveat i like that little listen <laughs> make sure it's actually a christian bible mm -hmm. well and this next one lemon i was like is this a christian bible Right. Oh, okay. And I've heard, I've heard really good things about it too, from people. Okay. So I'm gonna give you a little story. We're going to talk about the message Bible. Yeah. This is a paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. He tried to emulate the feel and it's meant for more personal reason, reading, not necessarily designed for like study or public use in the church, um, like, or that's what's, you know, on every chair. And the intent, intent is to use this alongside a word for word translation, or maybe a closer, closer paraphrased version, like one of the ones we've already mentioned. It is a, at least at the time, you know, culture changes. So I'm like, I don't know offhand what year this was published. Now I'm going to go look while, while we're thinking. Paraphrase in like a super hip cultural way to the point that the real meaning can be a little questionable at times. Um, it's written by the single person, which is something that, again, if you're going to really study a Bible translation done by one person, I would not recommend. That's just a lot on one person. Um, but he wanted the freedom to kind of do it for a population that maybe was having a harder time reading the Bible. The author, I, I had read this somewhere that the author himself doesn't necessarily think it should be read in church, but I say that with an asterisk of, I didn't come across the document where I have evidence that he definitely said it. So that's a little hearsay. Um, I have to say though, for someone who was raised like inner city, and it's going to be handed a Bible to introduce them to God, this might be the only version they're going to read. And I'm quoting my husband when I say that, who was raised in the inner city. He was raised in a tough neighborhood. And I, I don't believe the message was the first version yet. I think it was the NLT. But he sees a lot of value in the message translation for a population like that. Um, he's like, there's just value there. And he, he also would agree that it's not ideal to stay with this version for a really long time, but it can be a great tool for people to get started. If they have that kind of background, it's just 
it's going to make more sense to them. And I think it still is going to share like ethics and values and morals and things like that. Well, like make living better, living different, it communicates these messages. So I have read passages of it. I haven't read the whole thing. And there's parts where me not being raised in the inner city, I'm like, what are we talking about? (laughs) But it's cool to have someone like Michael, who's like, yeah, no, I get it though. And, and so it, it can be really helpful for getting someone started. So this one, just again, a caution, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to it. If that's not your story, I would go to something else, but this could be really helpful for someone who is new and this is their story. Yeah. Yeah. So I was just looking, so he published it in like waves. So from like 93 to 2002, um, he did have it checked by other scholars. So like, but he did all of the translation himself. Okay. Which is, so he did have it checked to make sure that he got like the, the essence of it, I guess. Um, but yeah, this is like, I could totally see like my eight-year-old being into this mm-hmm. version, you know, mm-hmm. or um, yeah, even like my 10-year-old would be probably into it because it's, sounds way better than than what he's reading with you know Glenn and I but um yeah I I think it's super interesting the way that he published it and like um there's I have a quote here from him where he said it was just meant to be like a contemporary idiom to keep the language um of the bible current and fresh and understandable Mm -hmm. yeah and again I I love that like I have such an appreciation for wanting to present God's word in a way that someone's going to get it, especially if they have no context for this at all. They have no background for it. Like, I mean, in Michael's story, he's like, I had no idea that Christmas had anything to do with anything other than Santa Claus and that Easter had anything to do with anything other than Easter bunnies. Like he had genuinely never heard the gospel message. And so when you think of someone like that's like, yeah, I mean, this is a really great resource. So I think, I think it's cool. Um, I wouldn't, again, I wouldn't suggest sticking with it for a long time. I would not recommend it for a careful study. I don't think anyone would, but I think it does have its place. And I think the heart behind it as well is just really really beautiful of, Hey, we've got a population that's like not going to get this. And so how do we make it accessible to people in that subculture? Yeah. Yeah. He actually, um, you know, like he said, he's like heard, you know, pastors use this and things and he finds it just not okay. I pulled like another quote from him. He said, when pastors tell me they preach from it, I tell them they miss the connection with the past with this translation. And that it really is just meant to be like, you know, um, like an entry point is what he said. He said he prefers translation that are archaic and stay close to the syntax of the uh, the ancient language. Um, it makes for awkward reading, but preserves the uniqueness of the works. Mm-hmm. So he really does want this just to be like a like an an extra, not like a this is the version I use all the time when I'm married to it situation. Mm-hmm. Yes. And if so, and if that is the intention of the author, I think it's good to keep that in mind if we're going to utilize it. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. Thanks for checking that stuff out. Again, I knew I came across it and I'm like, gosh, was that actually quoted by like from someone else saying he said like, what was the deal? So I appreciate you double checking yeah. it. Totally gotcha. Got the article. We get <laughs> We've got a couple left. The Living Bible. This one is a paraphrase. This one is also a work from one person, which again, having a, a team is better, or even like what Mr. Uh, Eugene Peterson did, having people check it. So it just lends itself to a lot of bias and inaccuracies. And um yeah. And for those who didn't use the original Hebrew or Greek too, like they just reworded another version. So things can just get a little questionable there. Um, so I, this isn't one that I would be excited about. Yeah. 
that would not be that would not be my preference for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, it's just we have we have better options. We have options that are peer reviewed that you know have like we said a hundred scholars on it in seventeen countries, and we have options like that, and so it's just going to get us a a more accurate version, and that would be better to go with. The wait, is this the last one? No, we've got a couple more. We've got two okay. more for you. Okay, yeah. here are two. Okay. <laughs> Take it away, girl. Oh my gosh, the passion, right? So that, if you Google it, you'll see a lot of uproar about it. I feel like rightfully so. And I feel like you would agree. Um, it was pulled from certain publishers due to how it presents itself. So it is definitely paraphrase would be the best way to describe it, but it's presented as a literal translation, right? So there's been additions to the text that people are definitely not comfortable with. I know Mike Winger did like whole um, thing with CBN about it. it run. <laughs> that's, I don't know. That's my feeling on this trade because it, especially because I come from a church that had extra translations and extra scripture and extra this and that and that they were going to bring to fruition at some point like for me it's immediate like red flags and like run yes (laughs) so this is about to get worse um yeah yeah, it's gonna get worse so the man who translated this he is untrained so doesn't have the proper education to be translating from an original language anyway um he claims to have translated with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He, you can you can watch him say this himself on YouTube. So, um, and maybe we'll link a blog we put out recently that has the links to some of these so that you can just go. It's like a, I don't, I think it's only three minutes, like a three minute clip of this man speaking. And so you can hear it right from his mouth. He met an angel named Passion which is where he got the name for this translation. And he claims that God showed him secrets about the Bible and that he translated with this new information in mind. He went as far as to say that God gave him an additional chapter of John that he's going to bring to light in the future. But he said he has it, but he isn't allowed to share it yet. So for any of you out there um, who has a cult background but has left, that probably feels really familiar. These are things that we hear in those kinds of religious cultic environments, whether it was officially a cult and meets all the criteria or not, like we're in something like that. This is the language that we hear. We hear that angels said things and we're supposed to do these things and to completely retranslate the Bible. I mean, it's this translation is so much longer than the others. There's so many words added. And Yeah. I mean, I appreciate that he's being this upfront and he's not hiding it. Like I, that I'm thankful for that because it makes it really clear and really easy to not pick up this translation and to warn others to not utilize it. But it is still on some shelves from the understanding that I have. I mean, it certainly can still be purchased. And so please don't and yeah. <laughs> don't recommend it to anyone. I mean, it is, it is like a pretty more like flowery read. And so that would really resonate with people, yeah. especially more artistic types. And there were passages I heard from it where I'm like, gosh, that's so beautiful. And it could kind of suck people in for that reason. Certain personalities that are maybe drawn to that and they appreciate the art- artistry and the language, but it's, it's not accurate. And this is not the way that we translate a Bible. We don't hear from an angel named Passion and get extra chapters to books. Yeah, which I think brings us then to the last two versions we want to talk about, right? So the New World Translation, so that's the Jehovah's Witness version, and then um, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints or Mormons, as those people know them, they have their own version of the King James Version. And that's, like we said, any, any group that has like their own version of already accepted scripture, um, especially I, where 
formal education is not necessarily encouraged. Um, I know, right, I can speak from experience like that um, is actually discouraged to go to any type of seminary and things like that. Um, they didn't think it was necessary that anybody can just translate and it's fine and interpret and that's fine. Um, I mean, the founder of the LDS was, I mean, he was 13 and only had an eighth grade education. And that's who translated these scriptures and brought additional scripture and things like that. Um, and so for, I would, big red flag, <laughs> just mm -hmm. a big red flag when we are taking this sort of anti-intellectual stance on the way in which we interpret scripture and translate it. And that touches on anti-intellectualism just in general, which is a whole separate conversation. But um, for those of you who are listening, who were told that essentially the more educated you become, the further you get from God. I know we've addressed this a bit in the past. I just want to remind us all that God does instruct us to love him with all of our minds. Um, I can't love him with my mind if I don't grow my mind, if I don't learn to think well, if I don't investigate, if I don't read, if I don't ask questions, if I don't consider those answers, if I don't know the basics of logic. So all of that is important in being able to love my, my God with my mind. Um, really? and we're not told that in these situations. Yeah. I feel like that just like speaks so much to God's character, you know, it tests me, mm. you know, please go out and learn and expand your mind. Like he just feels very confident in what you're going to find at the end. And so, yeah, I do think, I think it's super interesting when you have organizations that are completely anti-intellectual. Mm -hmm. um, I know like for myself, I mean, it took me, I mean, I was a member of this organization for years and I had no idea that like the old Testament was in Hebrew and the new Testament was in Greek and things like I had no clue um, because nobody in our organization had studied that or would look into that, right? Because we also weren't encouraged to use outside materials. And I, I know it's the same for both of these translations, right? Their organizations don't include a push for outside education whatsoever or learning from biblical scholars because they don't think that they're accurate, right? They're apostates. And so I, I just, there was so much that I didn't know when I came out um, because it wasn't encouraged in any way, shape or form. Mm -hmm. Yes. And that is, that is very common. It tends to be a thread in our stories that many of us share. And this is also, this is also a common thread to use the new world translation specifically as an example. <clears throat> the new world translation is word for word. So it's a word for word translation. So it's tough to understand, um, which again, we've already talked about that. That can be a con as it just be harder except the passages that teach things that disagree with the faith of a Jehovah's witness, at which point they mess with the text. So it no longer disagrees. Yep. I would not want to be accountable for that. That is the same for the LDS version, right? Mm -hmm. So it is that they do the exact same thing. If it doesn't line up, you know, theologically, then it's, we'll change it to fit. Yes. And that is common. Again, it's another common thread that people who have experienced religious trauma um, can likely speak to is something didn't fit. And so we just threw it out or we just put it on yeah. the shelf or we just, yeah, we just pretended it didn't exist or it didn't happen. And we continued on and yeah. just sort of looked at the big picture and, and let it go. When those, when we have those little, those moments where we feel like something's nagging at us, it's really good to start to change from just shutting it down to, okay, I'm going to consider it. I'm going to go ahead and allow myself to wonder about that and to maybe start asking some questions, maybe start doing some research. Again, it's a big trans transition from someone who has been taught to do thought stopping be like, oh, I'm having a thought that is not in alignment with what I've been taught. And so I'm going to stop it. I'm going to start 
chanting. I'm going to start humming. I'm going to start singing the Lord's prayer in my head. I'm going to go distract with whatever it may be. Um, I see that at times just in our culture today of like, I don't want to think about that. So I'm going to thought stop by hopping on social media and scrolling um, to use a more like culturally act, you know, current example, but all of those things are discouraging us from actually using our mind well and being able to, to know God with our minds and love them with our minds. So we want to start to break those habits and allow ourselves to approach differently. Yeah. 100%. So Lemon, how about if it's just, I like this translation better. We've both said that. Yeah. I mean, and that's totally fine, right? Because I mean, we both use different versions um, for our own personal study. And so I think as long as it's not one of the harmful translations, and again, if you're unsure if your translation is okay and safe to use, like, please don't hesitate to reach out um, if it's not something that we've already talked about. But again, like whatever generally accepted and like as long as it is translated well with good intent um then I think it's okay right like we're allowed to uh I know Glenn like my husband he doesn't necessarily love the King James version he uses it because that's what I use but I don't think it's his favorite by any means and that's okay right like it's not the version my kids use because they are learning to read. And so the last thing, you know, that I want to do to them is here, take this version that is already difficult to read and make it more difficult for you. Right. So as long as, as long as it's a, a solid translation, then it's fine. It's my, my thoughts and feelings. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. So there's a lot of room here. Yeah. And we didn't even cover all the all the translations that are out there. So again, if there's one that you're considering that we haven't mentioned, you know, do some good searching on it, see what reputable people have to say about it, because depending, you might find articles. I mean, Google, it's like, you're going to see all views. So at least check, okay, who's writing it? Um, is that what's their agenda? Like, are they trying to push it for a specific reason? And some of these red flags we talked about, like some of these cons, some of these pros, take that as a general framework as you consider like, okay, what, what kind of translation is this? Um, how many people translated it or who double checked it or did they add to it? Did they take away? Do what, do they have footnotes? What are the footnotes for? Like, just look at some of these things as you're making a decision as to if it's going to be a good one for you or not. Yeah. Yeah. I know that. Um, anyway, I'm sure you have like the same, experience right where for a long time like I didn't trust translations um because it had been used in a manipulative and harmful way and you know and it was super interesting right because the church I came from they they specifically put it on the front page like we believe this is the true version as long as it's translated correctly and you would see in the footnotes hey this one was retranslated because it we don't think it was translated correctly little, little did my brain realize that you know an eighth grader was translating this right like that makes no sense um for me now and so for a long time I didn't trust anybody and it's part of the reason I went to seminary right because I, I was so fearful of being manipulated and um was so fearful of somebody's agenda behind a translation right now I feel much more comfortable picking up other translations um than I used to but it took me a long time to get there I think that's okay. Yeah, I wasn't comfortable when I first walked into a mainstream church and saw that it was the NLT. I think it was. I'm like, I don't know if this is okay. And I remember I had a family member visit me many years ago and, and stay with my husband and I for a while. And this person was used to one version, just like I had been. And I offered them a different version to look at because I just knew I had asked, like, do you enjoy reading the version you're used to? And they're like, no, it's just, it's hard. And so it was discouraging to pick it up. 
is like, I don't really understand what it's saying. So like, why even read it? And so it discourages someone from reading God's word, even when they're seeking him, because they feel like they just can't, they're not going to get it. And sometimes that can then make someone feel like they're not even, they're not spiritually mature enough or something like that, which is so not the case. Yeah. So it can have this whole domino effect that can be really problematic. And then someone's not reading the Bible when they otherwise would want to. So I'd offered them a, I think it was an NIV at the time. And I can't remember for sure, but they couldn't really read that either. They did, but it was just hard. It was emotionally hard. It was psychologically hard. It wasn't intellectually difficult to understand. It was other kinds of difficult to read because this person had been so groomed that, you know, it was, there was one option and that was it. So we just want to say this whole conversation with this piece in mind, if that's you, we understand. We have absolutely been there and please listen to this even more than once and just let that sink in, seek God yourself about it. And maybe even go to a bookstore and just open up some versions and take a look. I always recommend a study Bible version of whatever translation you're getting. So you have lots of footnotes that help you with context. That's kind of the only kind I like to have with me these days because it's just helpful because I have so many questions in the moment and I'm like, well, that at least gives me some info. And then I can go look further if I want to later, but at least like gives me a quick answer. So I can then feel like I can keep reading, but maybe just start to explore it a little bit. And again, the it's much more important. And of course this comes with that clause of as long as it's a safe version to be reading, it's better to be reading than to be discouraged that you can't understand and not be reading at all. I think that's a super important point to make, right? Like find the version that speaks to whatever season you're in that you actually want to pick up and it feels safe to pick up and it's whatever that version looks like for you is okay again with the clause right as long as it's a good one okay as long as it's not you know a harmful translation but whatever whatever scripture makes sense for you in this season is the one you should be reading mm-hmm.